If you have found 2 Corinthians 12, I want to be in reading this morning in verse 7. Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Now let me, um, let me refresh your, your memory about these revelations. There was a point in time in Paul's life when he was caught up into heaven. He admits he is unaware, he doesn't know if it was in the body or in the spirit, but he was caught up into heaven and he was allowed to see things that nobody had seen before. And so those are the revelations that he's talking about here in verse 7. And, and, and he goes on to say, and we'll read it, he goes on to say this. Because of my proneness to be arrogant and proud and haughty and boastful, because of the privilege that I was given to see these things. Here, here's what he said. That there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was. It, it was most likely some type of physical ailment that impeded Paul's ability to function 100% in his own strength, and his own power, and his own ability. We don't know. There's, there's a lot of speculation and some good speculation with respect to perhaps it was an eye problem, that he had an eye issue. But again, we don't know. But, but God gave him a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet, buffet me, and here it is, lest I should be exalted above measure. And then in verse 8, he says, for this thing, this thorn, this ailment, this difficulty, he said, I asked God on three different occasions, or maybe it was three times during the same prayer, we don't know, but here was God's answer to Paul, my grace, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Could God have could God have removed this thorn? Could God have changed Paul's life? Could he have changed Paul's circumstances? Could he have made things different for Paul? And the answer is absolutely he could have. And he said, Paul, listen to me. My grace is going to be sufficient for you. For my strength, God said, is made perfect in your weakness. Most gladly, therefore, Paul said, Well, I'd rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches and necessities and persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, 
He said, then am I strong. Paul learned to get through something that he never really ever got over. That is, he eventually came to accept this thorn, whatever it was, and with the Lord's help, he found the strength to move forward in life in spite of it, which is what I mean when I, when I talk about learning to get through what you'll never get over. It is that time that eventually comes, and again, that time doesn't come the same for everybody. It doesn't even come the same for a husband as it does for a wife or for children as it does for parents. But eventually there comes a time when we accept the horrible events that have brought us so much grief and sorrow. And with the Lord's help, we find the strength to move forward in life in spite of the loss and pain. As I said last week, for those who are able to do that, a sense of closure comes that allows them to accept the reality that what is done is done, and nothing will bring back the past or undo the damage. And again, acceptance, when, I'm, when I... When I talk about accepting, I'm not saying that everything is okay. Listen, it doesn't mean that everything is okay, but it means this, you are okay in spite of everything. And that you are choosing to get through it, even though you will never get over it. Now, for those who may not have been with us last Sunday. I started a two-part message um, on the subject of pain and grief and loss. And the things that I shared last week, the things that I'll share uh, with you today are, are things that the Lord has, I believe, given me to, to help those who have suffered tragedy. We, of course, uh, this came about as the result of the unexpected death of our oldest son, TJ. He was 35 years old. And his life ended in, in a moment. And these are things that my wife and I have learned and, and quite honestly are still learning about how to deal with that loss. Listen, we will never get over it. We just won't. But with the Lord's help, we are learning to get through it. What we learned last week, a couple of things. Number one, God sees what we don't see. We've got to understand and we've got to, to keep in mind that, that he has a much broader perspective than we do. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is our perspective. It's limited. It's narrow in its scope. It's limiting. 
But this, it's God's perspective. God sees it all. He's the Alpha and Omega. He sees the, the end from the beginning. And if you and I choose to view the difficult times of our life, our losses, our struggles, listen, if we choose to view those things through this perspective, then the only conclusion that we can come to is this. It's not fair. If Katie and I and Pastor Tyler and our daughter Tiffany, if we choose to look at TJ's death through this perspective and this perspective only, then the only thing we can come up with is this. It's not fair that our son is gone. It's not fair that his wife was left a widow, that his children, his three beautiful daughters were left without a dad. It's not fair. And if we persist with that, then it will inevitably lead to things like anger and bitterness and despair and finally to a hardened heart. And sadly, I'm guessing that most of us here this morning have witnessed that kind of reaction to tragedy and to loss. Not only does God see things that we don't see, but God also allows things, listen, he allows things that you and I would never allow. And this is the truth that is perhaps the most difficult for people to deal with. This is where many of the why questions are asked. And if you'll stay with me today, I'm going to address the issue of asking why at the end of the message. Why did God allow you fill in the blank? Why did God let that happen? And honestly, most of the time, we don't have the answers to the why questions. And I think to try and manufacture an answer is not beneficial now can I just can I just help you here uh, for a minute when when I talk about trying to manufacture answers God needed them more than you did is not an answer Well, God must have seen something coming that, that nobody else knew. That's not an answer. You're manufacturing an answer to why when you tell somebody that God needed another angel in his choir or another flower in his garden. Listen to me this morning. Would you please stop doing that? Stop doing that. Now, I'm just being straight up with you. That, that's silly. God doesn't need another garden in his flower, another, another flower in his garden. <laughs> he doesn't need the other either. For crying out loud, just stop and think about how silly and foolish that is. God needed another angel in his choir? Seriously? That's going to make me feel better? TJ couldn't sing a lick. 
And that's somehow going to make me feel better about the fact that my son is gone. Telling me that he's some flower somewhere in some heavenly garden. Are you with me? I'm just trying to help you today. Don't try to manufacture and answer the question of why. Because the truth is we don't know why. But here, listen, here's one thing we do know. And we know this based upon Paul's testimony. And we know this from other passages of Scripture. That God loves us. And that he wants us to draw near to him. And sometimes he will allow us to feel the pain of this world's unhealed hurts. If it brings us closer to him. We ended the last message with some unproductive ways that people choose to deal with hurt. Some people choose to fight the pain by denying it. But listen, you cannot deal with pain by not dealing with it. Some try and drown the pain by indulging their appetites with alcohol and with, with pills and, and with, with uh, uh, binges of, of all sorts, of all varieties. And then some people resist the pain by venting anger. Sometimes it's anger at the person who caused the loss, the, the deceased person. They're, why did you do that? And they get angry. Sometimes their anger is, is directed toward people in the family or, or, or whoever that didn't have anything to do with it. And then, sadly, sometimes their anger is directed toward God. Again, those, listen, those are not good ways to deal with pain and hurt. And so real quick, I want to... I want to start today by giving you some better ways to cope. And here's the first one. Release your grief. Release your grief. A crisis always produces strong emotions. And, and quite honestly, these feelings can be scary. And so many times we don't know what to do with them. But I think the most biblical way to deal with our emotions is to take them to the Lord in prayer. David did. We read in Psalm chapter 18 and verse 6, he said, In my distress, I called upon the Lord, and I cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even into his ears. And then a verse that has been so incredibly beneficial to me is Psalm 142 and verse 2. David said, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. Pastor friend of mine in our area whose daughter committed suicide along with her friend talked to me about what he called the, the prayers of lament that are contained in the book of Psalms. Dictionaries define the word lament as feeling or expressing sorrow or grief. Listen, I'm thankful this morning that we can go to the Lord with anything 
knowing that he can handle it. Perhaps the most effective way to deal with the grief uh, of pain is to release it, listen, through raw, heartfelt, authentic prayer to our God who loves us and cares about us and is willing to hear us out. Here's something else that is very important when it comes to dealing with hurt. Learn to receive help from others. One thing that our family discovered following TJ's death, and maybe I shouldn't say we discovered it, I think we knew it, but we were just overwhelmingly reminded that we are surrounded by people who love us immensely. And we had to learn to let them help us. Because listen, we are a ministry family. And that's not easy to do. We help others. We give to others. We pour into others. And it's not always easy to let them pour into you. And help you. We had a pastor friend, a uh, whose church paid for our entire family to spend three nights at Great Wolf Lodge in Kansas City. That was no small expense. And that was very difficult for me to say, yes, I'll, I'll do that, but listen to me this morning. I am so glad we did it. Because it was good for us. So I just want to encourage you to let those around you who love you help you <laughs> and forgive them when they don't know what to say or when they say the wrong thing because in their heart of hearts, they just want to help. Honestly. When Katie and I talk with someone who is farther along in the path of recovery, it encourages us to move forward with, with hope that things will not always be how they seem right now. And, and likewise, when we share from our experiences with those whose lives have more recently been shattered, it not only encourages them, but it helps us gain perspective by realizing how far we've come. So release your grief. Receive help from others. And then resist bitterness. Whew. And we all know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Bitterness never, never changes anything for the better. There's not a person here this morning can say this, my life is better because I'm bitter. It just doesn't work that way. 
And there's so much that could be said here, but I'm just going to suggest a couple of ways to resist bitterness. Number one, accept what cannot be changed. Do I wish that I could go back to the night of February the 6th, 2018 and change things? Yes. A thousand million times, yes. But I can't. Nothing I say or do or feel is going to change what happened that night. TJ's gone. He's gone. And he'll never be back. We've got to accept that. In addition to accepting what cannot be changed, it's important to focus, this is so important, focus on what's left, not what's lost. Now listen, when I say that, I'm not suggesting that, that someone should just forget about what happened. That, that's not even possible. Let me just, let me just give you a, a personal example. Listen, our family, we're not, we're not moving on from TJ. We are choosing to move forward with him. And here's an example of that. Last summer, our daughter-in-law, Sheena, uh, sent our family a, a short video clip of our, grand, our oldest granddaughter, Mallory. She's playing softball. She got a hit and it scored two runs. And the texting conversation that occurred between our adult children was just a reminder. I mean, they were talking about how their brother would have reacted and how, I mean, he would have went bonkers and he just, I mean, they know, they know their brother. And it was funny, I, Katie, neither Katie nor I joined in the conversation. We just sat there and watched the texts bounce back and forth as they, they reminisced on their brother and who he was and how he would have responded. And it was a reminder that getting through what you will never get over isn't about forgetting the painful things that took place. Listen, there are pictures of TJ and reminders of TJ all over our house. And they will be there forever. We're not afraid to talk about our son. We're not a, they're not afraid to talk about their brother. We'll laugh and, and, and we still make fun of him. I mean, that, we're, we're not trying to forget what happened. We can't do that. Getting through, am I making sense today? I don't want to just be rambling. Getting through is about reliving the good memories and refusing to let the painful ones drag us down. Because sometimes we can let our painful memories so dominate our minds and our viewpoint that our good memories all but disappear as they get tucked away in some dark corner 
of our minds. One thing that Katie and I have, have tried to be very intentional about is remembering that we have other children and we have other grandchildren who need us. And our other grandkids need to pop on Grammy. And, and though our children are grown and away from home and doing very well, I mean, we are reminded virtually every week they still need their mom and dad. And the last thing that we want to happen is for Pastor Tyler and Tiffany to come to resent their brother's death. Because it has robbed them of their mom and dad. And it has robbed their children of a good relationship with their grandparents. I think this is another contributing factor when it comes to the destruction of homes and marriages following a, a tragic loss. Someone gets so focused on what they've lost that they neglect those they have left. Whether it's a, a wife who gets so fixed on the loss that she neglects her husband, or a husband who gets so fixed on the loss that he neglects his wife, or parents get so fixed on the loss that they neglect their children, and before long, those who are left are now resentful. And now the family's divided, and the marriage is, is gone. So please, don't neglect what you have left by focusing too much on what you've lost. So with all of that being said, let's look at our text one, for one more thought about how to get through what you'll never get over. We know that God sees what we don't see. And we know that he allows things that we would never allow. But here's a third thought from our text this morning. God has what we don't have. Namely, God has the strength we don't have. And he has the grace that we so desperately need. Look at it again, verse 8. For this thing... I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he, God, said unto me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if it were not for God's grace and strength, I have absolutely no idea how we would have ever gotten this far in our journey. And I'm confident that there are others among us this morning who could boast of God's grace in their own life. The pain of losing our son was greater 
than anything I could even begin to describe. But the help we have received from the Lord is greater than I could even begin to explain. And I mean that. I have searched and searched for an adequate description of God's grace. But for me personally, the best way that I can describe God's grace to you is by saying that it is His supply for our every need when we need it. Peter talks about the manifold, the the varied, the the different. He talked about the manifold grace of God. You mechanics understand the concept of the manifold. The manifold grace of God. And, And God knows what we need when we need it. And I love the word God said to Paul. He said, Paul... My grace is sufficient for thee. I love the word sufficient because, listen, church, it means this. It's enough. God's grace is enough. Always and forever enough. Listen, it would be easier to dip a sponge into the Atlantic or the Pacific and soak up all of the water than it would be to exhaust God's grace. You could easier take a straw and suck all of the air out of the atmosphere than you could exhaust God's grace. One of my favorite writers, Max Licato, compared God's inexhaustible supply of grace to a wave crashing against the beach. Try to imagine this as I'm reading it. Will there ever be another one, he asked. Of course there will. No sooner will one wave crash into the sand than another appears. Then another. Then another. This is a picture of God's sufficient grace. Grace is simply another word for God's tumbling, rumbling reservoir of strength and protection. Grace comes to us not occasionally or miserly, but constantly and aggressively, wave upon wave. We barely regained our balance from one breaker and then, bam, here comes another. John 1.16 calls it grace Upon grace, we dare to stake our hope on the gladdest news of all. If God permits the challenge, he will provide the grace to meet it. We never exhaust his supply. He never says, stop asking so much. My grace reservoir is running dry. Heaven knows no such words. God has enough grace to solve every dilemma you face, wipe every tear you cry, 
and answer any question you ask. Would we expect anything less from God? Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When John Newton penned that promise, he did so out of a personal experience. His greatest test came the day that he buried his wife, Mary. He loved her dearly and was constantly praying to the Lord and, and, and asking that his death would precede hers. But his prayer wasn't answered. On the day Mary Newton died, John Newton found strength to preach a Sunday sermon. The next day, he visited church members, and later, he officiated his wife's funeral. He grieved, but in his grief, he found God's provision. And he wrote this, The Bank of England is too poor to compensate for such a loss as mine. But the Lord, The all-sufficient God speaks, and it is done. Let those who know him and trust him be of good courage. He can give them strength according to their day. He can increase their strength as their trials increase. And what he can do, he has promised that he will do. Thank God for grace. I said I would say something about asking why. So here it is. Some have been led to believe incorrectly, in my opinion, that when suffering... It's wrong to ask why. But I would submit to you that God is not put off by our questions. Can I remind you this morning, Jesus asked why. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, make, make, it, make it your choice this week to read through the book of Psalms and find out how many times David questioned God. How many times David sought for answers. And just like David, our why questions allow us to go before our Heavenly Father and pour out our heart to Him releasing our grief as I talked about earlier but that being said let me say this this morning stay with me there is a danger in a persistent focus on why because the longer our question goes unanswered 
the more it feeds a sense of entitlement. And as that sense of entitlement grows, it usually leads to bitterness. So we need to be careful in our questioning. Perhaps a better question this morning is this, how? Not why, but how? How might God use this current trial to glorify himself? How might God use these hard circumstances to show me something about him? How might God use these hard circumstances to show me something about myself? How might God use this pain, my pain, for His purpose? How might God make this mess into a message? Or this test into a testimony? How might God use this current chaos to make me into a man or woman who walks by faith and not by sight? How might God use this situation to show me that true peace is found only in Him? How might God use an untimely death to stir the hearts of others and show them the importance of eternal security in the life to come. And I'll tell you how. At the close of the message that our son's pastor preached at his funeral, there was a, there was a mom named Sally who came to know the Lord that day. As a blessing. I can only speak for myself. I can't speak for my wife. I can't speak for my daughter. I can't speak for my son. I can't speak for our daughter-in-law. I can only speak for myself this morning. And I'll be honest when I tell you this. An explanation from God will not satisfy me. If God came to me in the night, and said, Bill, this is why. It would not change one thing for me. If anything, it would just generate more questions. So here has been my constant prayer, and I trust that it will become yours. God, help my faith and trust in you be greater than my need to know why. May my faith and trust in you be greater than my need to know why. Let's pray together.